it's great to be together today. Uh, thank you to the band, and thank you, Gabe, for sharing your story. And I remember being with Gabe uh, in the hospital that time as he was uh, going through a hard time, and uh, it was pretty uh, amazing to see just how God worked in his life. Where did he go? There he is. Uh, and just to see you go through all that, man, it really does uh, make me inspired by just what God can do. And today, we're, we've been going through, if you're here for the first time, a series on grace called Strong in the Grace. And today, the title is Scandalous Grace. And I skipped the slide there, but this was pretty scandalous last week. And uh, some of you came up to me after the sermon here. It was great to be out in the desert for our regional service. And I didn't quite get to this scripture. I mean, to this scripture. Uh, I don't know if that's a scripture, but uh, to this picture, uh, that was pretty scandalous, right? That this big guy, 267-pound specimen, <laughs> knocked down the 248-pound chiseled guy three, two, four times. I mean, that was just amazing. The first heavyweight champ of Mexican descent. Yeah. And he's from Imperial, California, so he's not far away. And uh, maybe that'll be Jacob Serrano someday. You never know. <laughs> the second. Anyway. But it was just amazing. I, I just had to put it in there. It really has nothing to do with the grace uh, sermon. But it was just amazing to see. You never know what's going to happen. And sometimes, you know, you can look at people and you can judge them the wrong way. There's no way that anybody would have thought this guy was going to do anything. Some people prepared it. Compared it to what some of us uh, remember as the major upset of Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas back in the 90s. I mean, if you're old enough to remember that, I mean, that was pretty incredible. This is put on that level that this has never been seen before. Uh, so now we're going to get started with our sermon here, Scandalous Grace. That's, sometimes you just have to share crazy things. Uh, scandalous Grace. And... Uh, I don't know if you ever remember this commercial. It's one of our family favorites. It's, where, it's basically where this kid, he's on a soccer team, and they're, he's like 10 years old, and they're, they're fa- he goes through the whole season. They're undefeated. The dad's all excited. The dad's probably more into it than the son. And he gets his trophy, and it says, Congratulations, participant on it. You ever seen that commercial? And so he takes out his Sharpie, and he, write, he puts uh, something over it, and he writes, champs on it and he says okay that's better we didn't lose we're the champs and the uh amazing thing why we like that so much is we all like to win right there's a lot of us that you 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 have an attitude against the everybody gets a trophy let's since we're raising hands today if you don't like that raise your hand right everybody gets a trophy you're going to be upset that you raised your hand because grace is one of those things Sorry, I just set you up. But grace is one of those things where everybody gets a trophy. It is not, you go undefeated and you get the trophy. You can lose every game and get the same trophy. And that's something that we're going to look at. That is not a real popular topic. That's not something that goes where most of us like to go with the way we like to win and all those kinds of things. But... uh, You know, there was a conference a while back and experts from around the world debated if any belief was 
unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation, no. Other religions had different versions of gods appearing in, in various forms. Resurrection, no. Other religions claimed some of this as well. The debate went on for some days until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room and asked, what is this all about? He asked and heard what the colleagues were saying about Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. And he responded, oh, that's easy, it's grace. Christianity is the only religion that doesn't depend on our own effort to make it to heaven. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, goes against every other religion in the world. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and the Muslim code of law. Each of these offers a way to approve and be approved by God. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. I remember being at a conference and going up to one of the teachers and being a, I was about 20 years old and just trying to figure out what is love and what is, what is real love and what is fake love. And I remember just asking, why does God love us? And I was really serious. This was like a really deep question of my heart. And he just looked at me and says, what? <laughs> he just does. And I, was, I, I wasn't happy with that answer. I just stood there and I was waiting for more and that was it. He just does. And I, I didn't quite get it uh, until later uh, when I had a, kid, a child of my own and you just realize when you have a kid, why do you love your kid? Okay, write an essay and give me the reasons why. I mean, you, it's ridiculous. You just do. You know, if you're a mom, obviously, they, they grew inside of you. But even if you're a dad, just, you're just there. And it's an amazing thing. And I, I got this picture. I had a picture up here. Did I lose it? Go back. Oh, one more. One more. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Okay, I just got this picture. That's Connor when he's about nine years old. Little guy, I'm sorry if you're an animal lover, we were hunting, but this is like a bonding moment. And it just brought back memories of, of times being out there and just hanging out and just like, wow, they're growing up. You know, why do, why do I love them so much? Why are we best friends? I don't know. We just have a great time together. You know, it, it's one of those blessings that God gives us. That there's no explanation for. And when you think about God, he looks at you that way. Why does he love you? He just does. Why would he love me? How, why, how can we, I, know, I can understand why he would love that person. God looks at you and he loves you. And it's one of those amazing mysteries that's unique to Christianity. He wants to be with you. He likes being with you. And look over to Matthew 20. Because this is a concept that was just as difficult in Jesus' time. I have no idea if I'm going backwards, forwards, where it is. That's the very beginning. Okay, Matthew 20. Thank you, Richard. It's, it's my fault, not his. I sent him that picture late. So, In verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers in a vineyard. 
He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went in again about noon and about three in the afternoon did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they asked. He said to them, you go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired at five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who had been hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work in the heat of the day. But Jesus answered them, Am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with my own money, that with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The only point I have for today, and the two things I want you to remember, is these two words. You can't, hopefully you can see them. Ungrace and scandalous grace. I don't know what you think about when you hear this story about all these workers and the last people getting paid the same But it makes me mad. Right? I would have been upset with the guys there like, this is not fair. This is not right. When things are not fair, we get upset, don't we? We want justice to be done. We want people to pay for whatever things that they did wrong, don't we? I would be exactly with those guys. I worked 12 hours and he worked one. So when he got one, I thought I should get 12. Not two. If he got one for one hour, then I should get 12 for 12 hours. You know, at least two, but I'm, I'm looking for 12 at that point. I don't know about you. I don't know if you notice it, that every time he went to the, the, the next round of workers, he said, why, why are you doing nothing? That's how I would have thought, too. These guys were standing around doing nothing. If you take it a little further, they probably didn't get hired because they were doing nothing. Maybe they weren't very good workers. Maybe they showed up late and they weren't there for the first round. You know, maybe they were lazy. Maybe they were just resting all day. I don't know. But that's where we can go, isn't it? When things aren't fair. And so there's only two choices that you have to pick. A world of ungrace... Or a world of grace. Those are the only two options you choose. You can have a world of ungrace or a world of grace. I realize that ungrace is not a word. (laughs) Peggy was looking at me kind of funny there. Ungrace. I never heard that before. Okay, let's talk about what is ungrace. Ungrace is a world of justice. 
where everyone gets exactly what they deserve and exactly the amount that they deserve it. Everything in our world is based on this system of ungrace. And our system's not perfect, but the idea is the Justice Department. You're guilty or you're not guilty. If you're guilty, then you get this sentence. This is, this is the world of ungrace. Sports franchises. If you're good, you get paid a lot. If you're not, you get fired. Or you get traded. Or you get thrown out there. And people think, wow, our athletes are so greedy. Why? Because they're just in a world of ungrace. Nobody cares about them. Mortgage companies. Sorry, Don. A world of ungrace. If you have good credit, this is the rate you get. If you don't, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go to someone else. Try not paying your mortgage in a world of ungrace. You'll be, you'll be gone. But that's the world that we live in. It's all about rewards and punishment. How about our education system? We get grades, right, based on what we do or don't do. We get a pass. We get a fail. Has anybody ever looked up on Yahoo the ten poorest people in the world? No. The thought hadn't even crossed my mind. You know, even very destructive things are a product of a world of ungrace. Something is... Terrible as an eating disorder can all can come because that's what we are taught that this is beauty, and people that are photoshopped and airbrushed that's that's what's held up there, and so that can lead us astray that we destroy ourselves because we're trying to be beautiful because we can't live up. That's just Western culture. In India, the, the race and caste system. You think our world of ungrace is bad. South Africa's government was built on ungrace, the apartheid. Japan assists a culture of grace and disgrace. The bottom line of ungrace is that some workers deserve more than others. In the realm of grace, the word deserve does not even apply. So do you want to live in a world of ungrace where you get what you deserve and everyone else gets what they deserve? Or do you want to live in a world of grace where deserve doesn't exist? Think about that. This is not an easy topic. This has been a very difficult week. For me, I was telling Peggy, it wasn't the concepts that were hard, but it was trying to understand and connect with the concepts. And I kept thinking about, wow, what kind of grace do I give to people? Sometimes, I was going to say we, but sometimes I call wisdom, un, it's basically what it is, is ungrace. This is what this person deserves. That, that can be our parenting, right? This, this was the crime... And so this is the punishment. I don't want to grow up as a kid in that system. I want to learn, I want to be loved for who I am. I had to wrestle through forgiving people this week. There were three people in particular, I'm not going to share their names, but they came up in my mind as I'm doing this study. I'm like, 
I want to live in a world of grace. But I live in a world of ungrace. And even when I forgive people, it still comes up again. I forgive them one time and then it comes up again. I've got to forgive them again. And it comes up another time and another time. You know, it doesn't really go away. The people that hurt us the most, it's not like we can just erase the tape and never think of their name ever again. But every time that name comes up, we have to choose, am I going to give grace? Because I want grace, because I've been given grace, because they need grace, or am I going to give ungrace? And want them to get whatever they deserve. And that's a, that's a, that's a choice of our lives. I don't know about you, but the world of ungrace, as good as it might seem at some times when you're trying to give it to somebody, it's never good when you see it coming back your way. Especially when you know about the cross. Grace is a free gift. Not something that we could ever toil to earn. That's what this parable is all about. That is the whole point that Jesus is making. Are you envious because I am generous? And specifically, it was about Jesus letting the Gentiles in at the very end. They're like, wait a second, these are, the, these are the bad people. These are the heathens. These are the people that you hate. Now you're telling me you love them? And not only that, you're letting them in before us. There's more of them than there are of us, and, or there was going to be. Think about this. This question. Does God love you any more? Oh, no. Think about this statement. God does love you. He doesn't love you any more or any less, no matter what you do. God doesn't love you any more or any less, no matter what you do. If you're like me, you're squirming right now. That can't be right. I mean, isn't it how we respond? I mean, don't we have to love him back and then he loves us more? No, he loves you to the max. No matter what you do or what you don't do. No matter if you had a bad day, no matter if you had a good day, whether you had a bad life or whether you had a good life. That goes so against the world of ungrace, but that is exactly what he says. Don't I send my blessings on what you consider the wicked and the righteous? He loves all of us. And that will change your life if you really believe that. That will change how you look at yourself. That will change how you look at at others. Sometimes we can feel like Saul because God is so gracious to others. He was so gracious to David and Saul was upset. Or we can be the Pharisee that's angry because these Gentiles are getting into the kingdom. You ever think about the tax collector's prayer? Where he said, God, I am such a horrible person, I can't even look to heaven. Just somehow forgive me. That that person is better than most of us who pray to God and we tell him all the great things we did and we share with everyone else all the great things we did and he's like, no, I like that guy. That's the world of grace that Jesus was in. 
all these people, they looked so religious, they looked so perfect, and he looked at the guy who wouldn't even look up to heaven. He said, that's my guy right there. I feel like, man, I am so far away from understanding what that is, but I want to. I want to understand that. I want to get that. How about the, la- the last-minute confession by the thief on the cross that just makes it into heaven at the last second? Wait a second. I'm living. I'm struggling through this Christian life. I'm fighting sin. I'm, you know, years and years. And this guy, he just gets in at the very end. What? Are you kidding me? When I was a kid, I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> just do whatever and then at the very end, just get in. I've seen a lot of people not do that. But man, that, that looked good. But we, I, can, I can have an attitude with that. Jesus, that's not fair. It's not supposed to be fair. Jeffrey, any, anybody heard of Jeffrey Dahmer? Mass murderer who was into cannibalism. Not a good person. A couple months before he was killed in prison, after a, a number of uh, meetings with a Church of Christ minister, he was baptized into Christ. Kind of bothers me, if I'm real honest. Wait a second, he could do that and then he can repent and he can get baptized and he could be the same as us. That's grace. That's what God wants us to, that's how he wants us to look at people. That's the kind of world that he wants us to live in. Not to be so wise that we have all the punishments already doled out but to appreciate the guy that just makes it in at the end after a lot of sin. Read 1 Timothy. That's what he talks about. The gospel is not for the church people. It's for the people that really need it. I found this quote in the the book by Philip Yancey, What's So Amazing About Grace. Grace is not about finishing last or first. It's about not counting. How do you do that? I mean, anybody that knows me, I mean, I, I try to figure out how to win, how to do that. I mean, I'm looking at James there. I mean, come on, James. That's a tough one right there. It's not about keeping score. It's not about being the best. It's about being with Christ. You know, even in church, we can do that. I found this story by Emma Bombecker. She's a columnist. She wrote this shit. In church the other Sunday, I was intent on a small child who was turning around, smiling at everyone. He wasn't gurgling, spitting, humming, kicking, tearing the hymnals, or rummaging through his mother's handbag. He was just smiling. Finally, his mother jerked him about, and in a, st- in a whisper that could be heard across the church, said, Stop that grinning! You're at church! With that, she gave him the threat that she was going to get him later, and tears rolled down his cheeks. And she added, that's better, and returned to her prayers. Shut up, I'm worshiping God! What? 
What? But we can be very similar ourselves. We live in a world of ungrace. Ernest Hemingway tells the tale of a Spanish father searching for his son who ran away from home after having a fight with his old man. The father so badly wanted to reconcile with his beloved boy that he placed an advertisement in the local newspaper. The advertisement reads, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montaña at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. The next day at noon, arriving at Hotel Montaña, the father is astonished to discover 800 young men named Paco (laughs) waiting for forgiveness. It's the thing that we so desire. Only grace can give it to us. Our connections with our parents, with our friends, with our relationships. That hundreds of men that have been damaged in their lives by their dads. They're searching for it. And many of us, we search too. Praise God that we have a Father in Heaven. One of my favorite movies of all time, I even liked it when I was eight years old, even though I didn't really know what it was about, is Les Mis. We have a fan! It's the struggle between life with, with grace and life without grace. Hugh Hackman is John Beljean, who decides to not meet his parole officer. He steals some silver is blessed by a man of God, and the movie begins, where Russell Crowe plays the inspector that's trying to convict him of his crimes. And it's a powerful story about life of grace, living a life of grace, or living a life of getting what you deserved. Even in church, we can have a time where we understand the cross, and we understand our sin, and we have these amazing moments, Where we get it, we understand there's nothing I can do except be loved. And yet we can also have times when we feel like that our performance determines how much God loves us. If we give a certain amount, then God must love me more. When I share my faith and bring someone to church, then I'm really spiritual. And if I miss church too much, then I'm doomed. See, guilt is an easy motivator, but a terrible world. I grew up in a family of cheap, where there was a lot of cheap grace. And by the, by what I mean by that is that we, we didn't care about the Lord too much. We just did what we wanted to do. And it was hard, you know, so when I became a, a, a disciple, I, the things that really stood out to me is that that people really lived out their faith by their actions. That they really did it. They shared their faith. They had pure relationships. They, they loved each other. They read their Bible. And so that was so many of us, wasn't it? Wow, these people are really serious. They're really doing it. And you know what can happen? Is we can feel like we're really doing it. That's not grace. 
because we're not. You ever done a discipleship study with someone and you're asking them, so are you a disciple? And I'm asking myself, really? Do I deny myself all the time? Do I deny myself most of the time? Do I deny myself some of the time? Am I a fisher of men all the time? Am I a fisher of men most of the time? Am I a fisher of men at all? Because when you really know Jesus, there's no trying to compare. We're not even close to living the life that Jesus lived. But we still want to try. And we still want to feel good when we have a good day. Have you ever really had a good day? Man, I've, you've had some days you feel like, man, I, the Lord is just with me. He's answering every prayer. Every person I talk to just wants to love him with all their heart. My family's doing great. My kids were having great conversations. Even on your perfect day, you fell short. It takes the pressure off, guys. Karma is not a good system. You get what you deserve. So what do you want? Grace or ungrace? You want to learn to learn what grace is all about. We're going to have some sermons later. We're going to talk about forgiveness and we're going to talk about repentance, but not today. This is the center of what Christianity is all about. And if this is not the center of us, then we need to make it the center of us. And we need to have this as our heart. Jesus, Jesus says to us, I am not leveraging your character, but mine. It's because of who I am that I'm going to do something for you. That's what Christianity is. So basically, he's saying, because I am perfect, you get my blessings. You get my forgiveness. You get to be with me in heaven, not because of you, but because of me. That's the love that Christ has for us. And yet, so many times, we feel like, man, I'm this, I'm that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm doing good or I'm doing bad. You know, when we share our faith, sometimes we share all that God has done for us, but we don't share about Jesus. He's the center of everything that we have. Without him, we have nothing. The receiver of grace doesn't get any credit. Only the person who gives the grace is the hero. The center of Christianity and the hero is Christ. And yet, in, in so much of my life and my world, I can flip that around. And it's about me and what I'm doing and what I'm reading and what I'm learning and who I'm helping. And I'm not the hero of Christianity or of this church, and neither, neither are you. That Jesus is the ultimate hero. 
It cost him everything and cost us nothing. It's not about having the eyes of fairness, but the lens of his scandalous, unfair, and messy grace. And sometimes because of the religious world, we even hate this type of a scripture. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. It's simple. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Scandalous. Thank you.